Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Hey, Ashley. Good to be with you. And who is this other person on our on our line? Yeah. Who are you? Hello. Hello. This is uh, Vivian. Vivian Cabrera, our, <laughs> our colleague at America Media. Uh, she sits right between Zach and I, usually, when we're at the office. Keeping but... the peace, mostly. I do try it. I do try it. It's so nice to see y'all. Is your job easier when we're only fighting over Slack? Yes. Uh, it is. We don't fight as often, I've noticed. Uh, <laughs> but we have records. We have receipts. <laughs> we, yes. we definitely do. Yeah. So we've got a, a special uh, after after happy hour edition of Jesuitical, maybe. <laughs> Are you are you guys joining me in a in a drink? I, I am. I've poured a bourbon. Okay. What do you got, Vivian? I have a lime margarita. Seems very appropriate. Okay. I also have bourbon uh mixed with ginger ale. My nifty University of Virginia tumbler. Great. <laughs> Love Sweet. it. All right. Well cheers, cheers and oh yeah, cheers. It's been a while. It's been a long Lent. <laughs> Longer than usual. <laughs> There's an extra day in there. God, you know. Yeah. Um, so who are we talking to today, Zach? So we are talking to the Reverend Father Matt Malone, uh, who, in addition to um, being a Jesuit priest, is our boss here at America Media, He's president and editor-in-chief of America. And so we had him on a couple years ago, and he had, he had enough fun that he was willing to join us for our first bonus episode of 2020. Uh, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> Uh, but before that, I want to hear how your guys' lives are going. Uh, how's, how's quarantine? Uh, it's uh, been interesting. I tried to go out at least once a day. I live right next to Central Park. Um, so I went out um, and commuted to work this morning, did a little walk around the pond. As in um, just a loop to your back to your house? Yes. So I went right. outside. It's hard to feel bad for you when Central Park is your backyard. It is pretty great. There were like three cute dogs, so <laughs> mood boosters, and um, just came back, got to work. Great. What about you, Zach? Yeah, How's Brooklyn. It's it's good. Uh, I find that my mood, like more than usual, uh, shifts with the amount of sunlight uh, coming in from the windows. Yeah. Um, even yeah, great point. Especially because I, I I have no desire to go outside for a little walk if it's like cold and rainy. Um, so mm. yeah, but I just finished Tiger King. That is wild. Um, so <laughs> I do uh, not know what that is. It's on your. It's going to be. Queued up next on your Netflix recommendation. I guarantee okay. it. Cool, cool. Uh, yeah, I'm writing about it a little bit in the Jesuitical newsletter this week. So, oh, great. More that's, there. That's that's what you consider culture, Zach. It is. Wait, just I wait. I was the uncultured one. Nope. You just wait. Uh, what about you, Ashley? How's it going? Uh, yeah. So last night I fled Brooklyn uh, in my tiny studio apartment. I was I was getting a little claustrophobic. So I'm back in Virginia with my parents. And I have to say after like a week and a half of, of self-isolating, it's, it's really nice to be around people. <laughs> my mom has created some like great content for me. I was at my laptop this morning for our regular, you know, just getting ready for work. And she like peeked her head in the door behind me and was like, are you on TV? Because that's what she calls <laughs> our Google Hangout meetings. <laughs> that's incredible. And uh, I was like, no, mom, it's good. And she's like, okay. So she came in and gave me a hug and it was adorable. <laughs> oh, man. 
Oh, well, I hope and, I I hope that you uh, didn't tell you're on TV now. And we get a surprise visit from Kathy. No, I actually thought about putting up the recording post it and didn't because I was like, I really want my mom to. That would be so fun. And you oh, have gosh. the possibility of baby baby visits too, so that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, let's bring in let's bring in Matt. Yeah. Let's I guess. <laughs> Apparently, I was so I was so my my last appearance was so popular. You had to schedule extra episodes to accommodate me. That's right, exactly. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. That's one way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's the way to look at it. <laughs> Matt, how are you doing from quarantine? I'm okay. You know, um, I've been I've been at this now quite a while because we went out uh, with the. The Pilgrim Readers of America Magazine, we took them to the Holy Land, myself and Father Jim Martin, on our annual pilgrimage there. And when we came back, because we had gone to Bethlehem, and Bethlehem had subsequently been shut down for uh, the coronavirus, we thought it prudent that those of us who went on the Holy Land pilgrimage, myself, Father Jim, you, Zach, yep. and uh, James Capabianca, that we uh, actually, you know, uh, self-quarantine for, for a bit just to be on the safe side. And then the whole world changed during our self-quarantine and we wound up five days later shutting down the office. So it's kind of old hat to be uh, by this point. We'll get into all of that in a second. But first, where are you calling us from and, and what are you what, drinking? What are you drinking? Yeah. <laughs> ah. The important questions first. Well, there's something decidedly un-Jesuitical about me. And that is I do not like scotch. Most Jesuits like scotch. In fact, we're kind of famous for being scotch drinkers. Nothing fancy, but um, they, Jesuits are known for liking their brown liquors. And I am a gin drinker. Mm. I'm, a clear, I'm a clear liquor guy. So I'm having a gin and tonic, gin and mm. fever treat. All right. No whiskey priest and, uh, on this podcast. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and, and I think we're able to do this because I have, I've given a dispensation. Oh, we just so. assumed that. Is that official? <laughs> Better to be prepared. Yeah, a dispensation for this podcast. For ordinarily, I know we don't drink during our lesson. Yes, podcast, desperate times. Or so, I'm, or so I'm told. No, well, we figured yeah. since you'd given us one in 2018 that, and also because this Lent is, yeah, just way longer, both spiritually and emotionally, that it feels like it needs to be, that we deserve a, a quick reprieve. I think so. Uh, you know, there are a lot of bets that are off these days because some, the whole world's upside down, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let's let's get into that a little bit. So you you are the editor in chief and president of America Media. And you mentioned, you know, leading a pilgrimage in the Holy Land just when this um, pandemic was getting started. And I imagine that's like an extremely stressful <laughs> thing to do. So how have you been um, making decisions throughout this? Well, the funny thing about it, I think, uh, is there, there's a sense almost that the decisions are being made for you. Events happened so quickly in the last 14 days. You know, sometimes it was hard to, to keep up. Um, it just happened really, really fast. And uh, I, I've never really seen anything quite like it. Yeah, and it feels like it hasn't stopped changing yet. You know, in a certain sense, like the most extreme, I guess, we can do, at least like from how our 
arranging our working arrangements is work from home. So we've sort of been getting used to that, but the world is still like every day, there's some new update that it makes it so difficult to like get to normal. Yeah. I think it's going to be a long time before we're at normal. One of the many things that's hard about this crisis is, um, you know, there, it, it isn't a single event. It isn't a single traumatic event, like the death of president Kennedy or the bombing of Pearl Harbor or nine 11. Like it, it, it's not something that happens on one day and then we spend weeks and months or sometimes years, you know, wrestling with it. It's been this kind of, it has happened quickly, but it's been this kind of this, this slow descent into, um, in, into crisis. And I think a lot of us are waking up and every morning and saying, my God, how, how in the world did we get here? I mean, just from a month ago. Well, not even that um, it's just one event. It's our reaction is, is shaping the course of the event. How we respond decides when this ends and how traumatic it is. So, I mean, do you feel a special responsibility in, in that way that you might not in the response to a natural disaster or something? You know, when you're in one of the helping professions, if you're a fireman or you're a priest or you're a doctor or a nurse, your instinct in situations like this is to run toward the problem, right? And we can't do that. We can't run toward the problem. In fact, the way to deal with the problem is to retreat from each other in this social distancing. And it's really contrary to instinct um, to, to do that. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a Jesuit priest, and he is a chaplain in Boston at a major hospital there, he was saying something similar, you know, that for 30 years he's been ministering as a hospital chaplain and all of a sudden he can't be with people in the way that he was before and do what he does. And, and how do you have seen the church's response to this? Like you're mentioning your friend, how the has like the greater church in the United States um, responded to this crisis in your point of view? Well, I think like the rest of us, they've had to do what they've had to do. Um, and you know, a lot of the parishes and dioceses have, as as you know, uh, you know, basically shut down, shut down the, all of all of their activity. Certainly, any of their business activities, but even the sacramental activity, mass is canceled. Um, my friend in Boston was told that you know, no no priest over sixty should be administering the sacraments right now if it requires them to come into contact with people. Well, you know, priests over sixty is half of the presbyterate in Boston. I mean, that's a very, yeah. very serious situation. And I think, you know, in, in a traumatic event, the, the thing that makes a, an event traumatic is, it, is it, it breaks through time and space and you have this sense that you're stuck in it and you're not going to get out of it. And that's actually why people suffer from the effects of trauma for years afterwards, because they still have that sense that they're stuck in it. Well, the antidote to that is the sacraments. Right, it's, it's the, the healing yeah. uh, grace of God that breaks through time and space through the sacraments, and the, I think the church is 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 really feeling its poverty right now because it can't bring that healing to people in the way that it wants to. How have you adapted your ministry to that reality um, when you can't when you can't bring the sacraments to people? How are you, you know, trying to be present to people? I'm praying a lot. I'm calling a lot. You know, I have my list of people that I'm calling and checking in on. And by the way, I think we all should have a list of people, you know, people who live alone, people who are elderly, people who are sick in some way, immunocompromised, scared, 
I've been I've been really intentional about that, uh, trying to stay in touch with people. Um, but it's also something that I'm that I'm still figuring out. And what advice do you have for uh, lay Catholics who have to participate from the to, with the sacraments from afar as someone who's still able to to offer that digitally or other virtually? Than, other than consume more American media content, yeah, obviously that's a given. Well, uh, yes. I mean, it goes without saying. I mean, if you could see me, you you would see that that's printed on my T-shirt. <laughs> you know, not to overly spiritualize and theologize this, but uh, when I was in theology, I had I remember reading an article about you know, as Catholics, as you know, we believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, that He's really fully and truly present in um, in the Eucharist and in our act of communion through the Eucharist. And this article was called "The Real Absence." And it was uh, it was about those times in our lives where we don't have access to the the Eucharist, or um, those times when we we are lacking in communion. We're not able to connect with other people, and that 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 is a loss that is to be mourned. But there's also a really important piece of spiritual data in that reality, which is that longing that we have, right? That longing that we have for the Eucharist, that longing that we have for one another, is itself a sign of the presence of God uh, already at work within us, within our hearts. That that drawing out of ourselves toward other people, that's always a sign uh, of God's grace. And so I would encourage people, in addition to the, you know, the tried and true practices, uh, prayer and rosary, reaching out to people, sharing faith with one another, you know, to, to pay attention to that longing, because within that absence, there is a different kind of real presence, which is uh, God's grace calling us into being. You know, I was trying to think of like a historical example in the life of the church where this was, I don't know, at least in terms of sac- being denied the sacraments. Um, and I realized that maybe not even historically, but like geographically, like this is what the whole center on the Amazon was about in some ways, right? Like how do we minister to people who don't have, you know, ready access to the sacraments? And I don't think that I fully understood that in a way, <laughs> in an empathetic enough way until now, at least. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's a really good example of what I was talking about, you know, paying attention to those feelings because the level of access that we have to the sacraments as first world Catholics um, is, a, is luxurious. You know, I mean, I have spent time living in the missions in South America where people see a priest every four or five weeks, and they're okay with that because their whole lives as a church have been seeing their priest every four or five weeks. They, it's a different way of being church, but they're in every way as Catholic as we are. But on an ordinary day in Boston at City Hall at noontime, you know, there's probably five masses within a 20-minute walk of me, right? And it seems to me that this moment in time might be a uh, an invitation for us to, as you were suggesting, Zach, you know, to to reimagine my relationship to this sacrament, but also our relationship to it, and um, perhaps the ways in which we're being invited to change. Switching gears a little bit, you mentioned uh, Boston City Hall, um, and before you were a Jesuit priest, you you worked a bit in politics. So, wondering if we can pick your brain a bit about the government's response. Um, maybe less uh, policy and more about how they're communicating with the public at this time. Um, how would you assess how, how uh, the administration has, has talked about this pandemic 
And, you know, if, if you were president of America, the country, and not just the magazine, <laughs> how, would you, how would you be talking to people about it? Well, I think when we're, we talk about how the government is responding, you know, um, the government's responding at every level. And I think when you look at our own governor here in New York, Andrew Cuomo, and you look at John Bell Edwards in Louisiana, uh, you know, governors throughout this country who are really on the front lines here um, of, of organizing the public response to this crisis, they're doing a pretty good job. The responsibility of the president of the United States at moments like this is not just to manage the crisis. It's to, it's to, give, it's to give comfort and hope to people. And I think, you know, Donald, President Trump really gets failing marks on that. Uh, when I think of how any other president would have responded to this, whether they were a Democrat or a Republican, whether Ronald Reagan, George Bush, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, how they would have responded to this is very different from how he has responded to this. And, um, and that response, which is part and parcel of his kind of political narcissism, um, has hampered the ability of the country to come together, to unify, to confront this. I mean, at moments like this, a, a president should stand up, remind us of who we are, remind us of our own history, of overcoming challenges, and, and marshal not just our material resources, but our but the American spirit to confront it, as Franklin Roosevelt would have, or President Kennedy, or Ronald Reagan. And um, I don't think that this president has done that, and I'm not sure that he's, he's really capable of it. It's not the way he's wired. I've seen some people say that members of the media have maybe been a little too uh, polite policing about the president's tone and they're not focusing enough on like a policy response. But I mean, would, you're saying that the the tone matters, right? And that's sort of part of the job. It matters a lot. Yeah, it does. It matters a lot because, you know, I, if there is such a thing as a deep state, I'm pro deep state. I like the deep state. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like people who are uh, you know, professional, dedicated, nonpartisan public servants. And I do feel like um, those people exist and they're working their, their tails off right now to, um, to help people and are doing what they should be doing. And that gives me confidence in the response of the federal government. The president's job is to make sure those things are being done. But, you know, the president isn't just the CEO of a company. He is our head of state. He's the head of the country. You know, he has a role that, you know, that transcends the pragmatic, right? That is about responsibility is to, is to make sure that what we are doing appeals to our better angels, the better angels of our nature, as Lincoln said. And that's not stuff that he does, or if he, if he does, he doesn't do it very well. You know, speaking of the deep state, and in case there are any believers in the Jesuit conspiracy that we're somehow running the world, <laughs> um, we've got the Jesuits have their man up there uh, at the federal level. Uh, responding to this too, right? Dr. Fauci is, uh, as I understand it, Jesuit educated, right? Yes, indeed. He went to Regis High School here in New York, and uh, he's talked in interviews about his uh, his Jesuit connections and how that his education really taught him to think. And Dr. Fauci is a really interesting example. I mean, he's a, he's an excellent example of what I was just talking about, like um, professional public servants who um, you know who 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 give selflessly of their time and resources. I mean, it's amazing to me that that man has been at the front line of battling infectious disease in this country since the early 1980s. 
led us through AIDS, the Ebola crisis, and now this. And he he, he could have gone and made a lot of money someplace, and he didn't do it. Um, he stayed there at his post. And that's the kind of loyalty and dedication that we, I think that there is actually a lot of that in the world, but we, we don't, we don't see it or it's, it's kind of partially obscured, but you know, the schools, the Jesuit schools are always talking about, you know, forming men and women for others. And you couldn't, you couldn't find a better example than Anthony Fauci, I think. I do want to um, ask a question a little bit on a more practical note. What uh, what is it like living in community under quarantine? Like, did you imagine you would ever have to quarantine with your uh, Jesuit brothers when you joined? No, I don't. I don't think I did. <laughs> no. Um, well, what's kind of interesting? You no, know, it's not. We don't take a fourth vow to quarantine. Or, um, <laughs> but maybe we should have taken a fourth vow to ki- not kill each other because I think <laughs> we're not probably like a lot of people. We're going a little stir crazy, and we're on top of each other, and you know, we're all. Here, we're a community of 14 people. We all have full-time jobs. It's rare that we are all in the community at exactly one time. And we're not only here all at one time, we're here all the time with one another. And so I'm sure as people you know, are discovering in their homes and in their apartments with their family or their loved ones or just their roommates, like you, you, can, get a little, you can get a little stir crazy. You can kind of get on each other's nerves a little bit. And there's some of that going on, but, but by and large, you know, people are rolling with it. And I, I also find it interesting that, uh, one of the things we were just chatting about last night was that the society has 400 years old, you know, has a long history, uh, of dealing with these things. I mean, if you read about the early Jesuits and their ministry to plague victims and their need to isolate, the society has dealt with this before. And so, I don't know, in some sort of strange way, we're a part of that legacy, that tradition. Um, we're just connected, I guess, by history. Uh, common challenge to our forebears, and that's, that's an interesting thing, I think. Yeah, I saw one tweet that said something about there should be a new marriage prep question about whether or not you can imagine being quarantined with this person. <laughs> and it seems <laughs> right. like they might want to add that to novitiate as well. <laughs> I think yeah. there should be a question on rental applications for studios that says, can you imagine being st- stuck in this studio by yourself for two months? Mm, overlooked, overlooked topic for sure. Yeah. Now that would be, that would be even, that would, whatever my relatively minor challenges are of living with a big group of people during a time like this, being alone would be a lot worse in my book. So I feel for Ray, actually. I think he made the right choice to go to Virginia. Yeah, no. I mean, um, for sure. it's important to be around people for as much as we can right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we usually wrap things up by asking uh, to, for our guests to canonize someone. I don't think we're going to do that. But maybe you could, I don't know, offer our listeners a, a, something that's giving you hope or something joyful that you've witnessed in the last week or so. Um, during this, you know, uncertain time. So if you were to ask me, who would you canonize? I would say the Reverend Fred Rogers, right? Because I think that Fred Rogers, uh, he is a saint. Um, But he was famous for saying, you know, in a a time of crisis, uh, his mother used to tell him, look for the helpers, look for the helpers, because that is how God is at work in responding to the crisis. And you know, when I look for the helpers, when I take Fred Rogers' advice, 
it, it, it gives me really great consolation. You know, these the men and women in the medical profession, in law enforcement, in fire and rescue, you know, who are the people who are making their uh, surplus and their convenience store available to people, the folks who are checking in on uh, people who are homebound. That gives me great consolation. Most human beings really are decent and generous people. And uh, as bad as things can get in New York, um, you know, New Yorkers in particular have a, a generous spirit. You know, we might knock each other out of the way to get to the subway on a normal Monday morning. <laughs> but if there's a crisis, um, something happens to New Yorkers and we come together. And I think most communities are probably like that. And that's, that's a sign. That's a sign of God's grace. And it's a, it's a consoling sign to me. Um, you know, my dad was a fireman and he always used to say, you know, when a building is burning, somebody has to run into the building while everybody else is running out. And those are the helpers. And uh, we thank God for them. And, and they're, they're a sign of God's grace. You just managed to do the canonization and constellations and desolations in one go. So well done. Well, I should. I've had 14 years of training. <laughs> <laughs> I would be able to do that. <laughs> in my prep for this, I listened to uh, your first episode, and I'm pretty sure you also canonized um, uh, Fred Rogers. And- so it's yeah. a good continuation from season one. Well, yeah. I'm thinking that maybe <laughs> I'm solid. hoping that the Pope will listen to this episode and actually get on that. You know. We're going to send it to him, so mm-hmm. maybe uh, if he's quarantined, he, you know. Got a lot of time on his hands. Why not? I want to give you one more consolation, though, and that is you guys on this program. I couldn't be more proud of what you do, and uh, not a week passes where somebody doesn't come up to me and say how much they really enjoy it and how much they get from it. So thank you on behalf of your listeners. Thanks for supporting us, because yeah. we obviously can't do it without you. And don't wait um, two years to invite me back. Okay. <laughs> you got, got it. Um, if people, if people want to hear more of you um, before your next visit on Jesuitical, you've got some, uh, some things coming up, right? The, you know, you can read my column in every issue of America Magazine. You, you can subscribe by texting subscribe to 833-JESUITS. Awesome. And then we have, like a, we have an Easter live stream coming up from, uh, for the community, right? Yeah, we do. Uh, myself and Father Martin are going to con-celebrate the... Uh, Father James Martin, the liturgy uh, from our house here at America House on Easter Sunday for those who uh, of our readers or people who've been with us on pilgrimage who who want to connect with other folks that they know and aren't able to get to a parish. Um, we're going to provide that. Uh, I don't know the exact time of that yet, but you can you can check it out at americamagazine.org on Easter Sunday. Yeah, we'll definitely share it with our listeners once that all gets nailed down. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Everybody be safe. Thank you. Bye, Matt. Bye. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Jesuitical is a production of American Media in New York City. For American Media, I'm Ashlyn McKinless with Zach Davis, Vivian Cabrera, and Father Matt Malone. We'll see you in a couple days. 